cabinet's members in the performing arts were somewhat less than stellar, and she assumed that that suited Inchmail just about as well as it suited her. It was the decor that had sold Inchmail, he said, and very likely it had been. Both he and it were arguably mad. Pushing open the door, through which one might have ridden a horse without having to duck to clear the lintel, she was greeted by Robert a large and comfortingly chalk-striped young man whose primary task was to mine the entrance without particularly seeming to. "'Good evening, Miss Henry. Good evening, Robert. The decorators had kept it down here, which was to say that they hadn't really gone publicly ragingly batshit insane. There was a huge, ornately carved desk, with something vaguely pornographic going on amid mahogany vines and grape clusters, at which sat one or another of the club's employees, young men for the most part, often wearing tortoiseshell spectacles of the sort she suspected of having been carved from actual turtles. Beyond the desk's agreeably archaic mulch of paperwork twined a symmetrically opposed pair of marble stairways, leading to the floor above, that floor being bisected, as was everything above the foyer, into twin realms of presumed philanthropic mystery and cabinet. From the cabinet side, now, down the stairs with the Widdershins' twist, cascaded the sound of earnest communal drinking, laughter, and loud conversation, bouncing sharply off on evenly translucent stone, marbled in shades of aged honey, petroleum jelly, and nicotine. The damaged edges of individual steps had been repaired with tidy rectangular inserts of less inspired stuff, pallid and mundane, which she was careful never to step on. A tortoise-framed young man, seated at the desk, passed her the room key without being asked. "'Thank you. You're welcome, Miss Henry.' Beyond the archway separating the stairways, the floor plan gave evidence of hesitation, indicating, she guessed, some awkwardness inherent in the halving of the building's original purpose. She pressed a worn but regularly polished brass button to call down the oldest elevator she'd ever seen, even in London." The size of a small, shallow closet, wider than it was deep, it took its time, descending its elongated cage of black-enameled steel. To her right, in shadow, illuminated from within by an Edwardian museum fixture, stood a vitrine displaying taxidermy. Game birds, mostly. A pheasant, several quail, others she couldn't put a name to, all mounted as though caught in motion, crossing a sward of faded billiard felt all somewhat the worse for wear, though no more than might be expected for their probable age. Behind them, anthropomorphically upright, four limbs outstretched in the manner of a cartoon somnambulist, came a moth-eaten ferret, its teeth, which struck her as unrealistically large, she suspected of being wooden and painted. Certainly its lips were painted, if not actually rouged, lending it a sinisterly festive air, like someone you dread running into at a Christmas party. Inchmail, on first pointing it out to her, had suggested she adopt it as a totem, her spirit beast. He claimed that he already had, subsequently discovering he could magically herniate the discs of unsuspecting music executives at will, causing them to suffer excruciating pain and a profound sense of helplessness. The lift arrived. She'd been a guest here long enough to have mastered the intricacies of the articulated steel gate. Resisting an urge to nod to the ferret, she entered and ascended, slowly, to the third floor. Here the narrow hallways, walls painted a very dark green, twisted confusingly. 
The route to her room involved opening several of what she assumed were fire doors, as they were very thick, heavy, and self-closing. The short sections of corridor between were hung with small watercolors, landscapes, unpeopled, each one featuring a distant folly. The very same distant folly, she'd noticed, regardless of the scene or region depicted. She refused to give Inchmail the satisfaction he'd derive from her asking about these, so hadn't. Something too thoroughly liminal about them. Best not addressed. Life sufficiently complicated as it was. The key, attached to a weighty brass ferrule sprouting thick, soft tassels of braided maroon silk, turned smoothly in the lock's brick-sized mass, admitting her to number four and the concentrated impact of Cabinet's designer's peculiarity, theatrically revealed when she prodded the mother-of-pearl dot set into an otherwise homely gutta-percha button.